Hi, I'm Lori Harp, and this is my podcast. Like most women, I wear many hats. I am a nurse, a wife, a mother, a friend, an encourager, but most importantly, I am a child of the Most High God. For many years, I believed the struggles I faced were because I was doing something wrong. I would hate myself for not being perfect. Then one day, someone told me God loves me where I am. Yes, we all face struggles and we all have things to overcome, but with God, all things are possible. In this podcast, I want to unpack the many issues facing women today. There is nothing in this life, no mistake, no flaw, no scar that is too much for God. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, let's discuss real life issues through the lens of God's love. Get ready, let's harp on it. podcast. You've tuned in to part two of Bruised and Battered but Not Defeated. This is my backstory, my testimony. We learned in part one that I became a Christian at the age of five on the front seat of my parents' Lincoln Continental. We also learned that my grandfather interrupted my life from the age of seven till 11 with sexual abuse. I led my grandfather to the Lord at the age of 12, and shortly after that time, I took all of the abuse and everything that had happened, and I tucked it neatly away in the recesses of my mind and forgot it. And I pretended that nothing had happened, that there was no abuse and nothing had occurred, and I went on with my life as though I had never been involved with anything at all. For the most part, it worked. And honestly, I would say through middle school and high school, I had a pretty average life. I was an average kid. I had ups and downs and a lot of things that were good and a lot of things that were not so good. I had moments of greatness and moments of not so greatness. I had heartaches and crushes and all of the things that girls go through in those years of learning how to be a young lady. And as we cruise into part two, I really want to focus on my early 20s. And I want to focus on the years where I go off to college and the years shortly after I get out of college. Um, mostly because that was the time where all of the things that I put away and hid from myself or tried to hide from myself, I feel like that was kind of the time when everything kind of came to a head. But let me not get ahead of myself and let's just start from the beginning. So I am bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and 20 years old and getting ready to go to North Texas State and I am excited and I am thrilled to be moving out of my parents' home and I am going to be free of the restriction of having somebody tell me what I need to do. I am going to be free of a curfew and I am thrilled. I am going to North Texas State, which is in Denton, Texas. 
Um, it's about 45 minutes north of Fort Worth, so it's just far enough away from my parents to be able to be really rebellious and not have them know what is going on, which is all part of my master plan, although I don't think my master plan was really a conscious plan, although maybe it was because I was pretty rebellious at the time. Remember that when I was younger and all of the insult that had happened as a youngster, I took all that hurt and that heartache and I kind of tucked it away and I pretended that none of that happened. But what happened at that time was my heart kind of split in two places. And I really feel like my heart was broken in that in those moments and I really felt like I was abandoned in a lot of ways. Subconsciously, I felt like the Lord had abandoned me and he had left me to be abused by my grandfather and he had not protected me. And so in my mind, I really felt like I had done something so very wrong that Jesus did not feel like I was good enough to protect or I was good enough to have good things. And so I took on a position of shame and guilt Although at the time, I don't know that I could really articulate or really say that I had those feelings or I knew that I had those feelings, but I want you to understand that going into college and going into that atmosphere, I wanted so desperately to have somebody love me and to belong to something that I would do whatever it took to have people love me. And I learned how to be a chameleon. So I could morph into whatever it was that I needed to be at the time in order to be accepted. So if I went to a sorority party, I could be the perfect little prim and proper girl. I could wear high heels. I could wear a fancy dress. I could talk the talk. I could walk the walk and I could be totally appropriate. If I went to a keg party, I could wear the sexy clothes. I could wear the ripped jeans and the half shirt. I could chug a beer in 2.2 seconds. I could talk trash talk. I could do all that I felt like I needed to do to fit into a fraternity keg party versus a sorority keg party. And then on Sunday, when Sunday came and it was time to go to church, I could put on my church clothes and I could sit in church and I could amen to the pastor and I could hallelujah and I could sing all the songs and I could worship the Lord. And please hear me when I say that I still love Jesus and I still desired and wanted to have a relationship with Jesus. I just felt like I no longer had the same relationship with Jesus because I felt like Jesus no longer 
loved me in the same way that he did when I was a little girl before the abuse happened. Now, I understand now that that was my misconception of things. And I understand now that there is nothing that I can do that makes God loves love me less. And there's nothing I can do that makes God love me more. But at the time, all I wanted in life was to be accepted and to be loved. So I worked in every capacity that I had for love and acceptance. So I did everything I could to belong. And I also really had a really warped concept of love because when that little girl was in that situation and her grandfather in her mind was showing her love, but it was a sexual act, I thought that sex and love were the same thing. So now I think that in order to get a guy to fall in love with me, I feel like I have to be sexy and that if I have sex with a guy, then he's going to fall in love with me and it's going to be like every other rom-com on on every other big screen in the in the US of A that if I have sex with them they're going to fall in love with me and we're going to ride off into the sunset and it's going to be happily ever after from there on but that's not the reality of life the reality of life is that if you want to have a solid love relationship then you have to get the per- get to know a person at the core of who they are and you have to know who they are before you get involved with them intimately. Now, I get it. I'm old-fashioned. I get it. I understand that uh, there are probably a lot of people out there that just probably rolled their eyes and they maybe even get frustrated with me for saying that. But the truth is that if you have sex with somebody before you know who they are, the truth is you may wake up with them the next day and realize that they're just a jerk. I mean, I did it time and time again. So I started at North Texas State and I am obviously chasing the world and I'm pursuing everything that I can to fill the spiritual hole, the spiritual void of belonging. I am seeking out guys and the attention of men in hopes that that will fill that void and it doesn't. I am going to parties and hoping that being in a party and surrounded by people and being busy and in that situation that that will fill the void, but it doesn't. Honestly, there were times that I was in parties and I was surrounded by hundreds of people and I was the most lonely as I could possibly be. While I was at North Texas State, because I wasn't going to class, my grades were slipping I wasn't eating because I was drinking all the time and I was partying all the time. So I was losing weight and then I wasn't really sleeping because I started having nightmares. I started having flashbacks of what had happened to me as a child. And I really honestly wasn't processing any of it well. And we come to the end of my first semester and I end up failing two of my classes and of course as a classic teenage slash young 20 year old 
I have a hundred reasons why it's not my fault that I didn't pass these classes. Oh my gosh, mom, it's not my fault because I forgot to drop the classes and I never went to class because, you know, I had 20 reasons why I didn't go to class. But really the truth of it was I was too busy partying to go to class and it was really completely my fault. But the fact that it was my fault just added more pressure to my already full plate and my already self-hate and self-loathing feeling against myself, adding more pressure and more, um, adding more stress onto an already ticking time bomb. And so I want to paint a picture here where I am just kind of crumbling. I'm just kind of falling apart. Um, part of it is because I continue to want to belong and I continue to seek a physical fix for a spiritual need and I continue to not deal with what happened to me as a child. So because I don't deal with any of that and I continue to do the same behaviors over and over again, I just perpetuate the same problem. So I go home for Christmas break. I come back to school the next semester. I'm told at the beginning of the semester that if I don't pull good grades, I'm going to have to take a semester off. But I figure I can do it because I'm a smart kid and I'll just do what I need to do. But it ends up being a semester of all of the same stuff that I did the previous semester. And I continue partying. I continue dating all the wrong boys. I continue um I continue meeting guys that are wrong for me. I continue having one night stands. I continue going to parties. And I just continue the same cycle. And so Monday through Saturday, I'm on the party wagon and then Sunday morning I go to church. And I tell the Lord, I'm sorry, and I really want to change. And y'all, I really do mean that I want to change. And I really do mean that I don't want to continue this cycle. But I don't really know how to stop the process because there's something so cellular about what is happening to me that I don't really understand it at the time and I don't really know how to stop the process of what I'm doing. It's almost like I'm a hamster on a wheel and I just keep running and running and running and I can't figure out how to get off the wheel. I keep chasing everything that I know is wrong for me, but I don't know how to stop chasing chasing the wrong stuff. One night I'm at a party and one of the girls that I know comes up to me and she says, Hey Lori, I need to talk to you. And I go, Oh, okay. So we go back into one of the rooms at one of the frat houses and we're sitting there and she starts talking to me and she burst into tears and I'm just kind of standing there and I'm just kind of baffled by the whole situation. One, she's not a real close friend of mine, but also I'm a little bit buzzed, so it's kind of hard for me to process what's really going on. So I'm kind of really 
paying close attention to what she's saying, trying to really listen intently. And all of a sudden, she looks me square in the face and she says, my brother killed himself. And I remember in that moment, in that second, the clarity of that moment just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, oh my gosh, what? And she said it again, my brother killed himself. And I was like, what happened? And she proceeded to tell me the story of how her brother was gay and he had come out to his parents and his parents did not love him and they never accepted him and they disowned him and how he felt abandoned and rejected and how he never belonged. And as she went on in her story and as she told that story, all the adjectives that she used to describe her brother resonated in my heart. And I remember thinking at the time, this is the craziest thing ever because I'm not her brother and I'm not suicidal. So why is this story upsetting me so much? But it was. It was upsetting me because I realized in that moment that if I didn't stop the cycle that I was in, if I didn't stop partying and chasing men and sleeping with men and waking up in strange places, doing stupid things and continuing to chase the world to try and fill the hole and fill the the aching inside me with things that wouldn't fill that ache. If I didn't stop that, I was going to end up a statistic and I was going to end up dead. And in that moment, something inside me clicked. And, and while I'm standing there, this silly, ridiculous Sunday school song came in my mind. And the song was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I'm standing there and I'm a little tipsy, but this song is just mulling over in my head and it's just playing over and over and over. And so I start whispering this song aloud. And as I whisper this song aloud, my friend across from me hears me and I say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And my friend just starts weeping harder. And I look at her and I go, you know, Jesus loved your brother and he loves you and he loves me. And in that moment, the Lord spoke to my heart and he healed me just a little bit in that moment. And I remembered that love that I had when I was in kindergarten, that moment when I looked up in the sunshine and I knew that Jesus was with me, that moment when he reached down and he held my hand, that moment that I knew, that I knew, that I knew that God loved me. And that night I went home and I cried and I cried and I cried. And I woke up the next day and I was asked to go to the chancellor's office. 
And when I went to the chancellor's office, they asked me to go home for a semester. And it was a really bitter pill to swallow because honestly, I wanted to blame it on a hundred other reasons, but the truth was I caused everything that happened. And the reason that I was having to take a semester off was because I did it. I was the reason I had to take the semester off. I didn't go to class, I partied the whole time, and I dropped my own grades. So I called my parents and told them I had to come home. So when I went to go home, I got home, I, I called them and I said, I have to come home and I have to take a semester off. So my parents were like, well, that's fine, but you're gonna have to go to work. So I was like, great, now I have to go home and I have to get a job. So I go back to my parents' home and I'm in my parents' home and I am trying hard to pretend that nothing's wrong. But the truth is, guys, I am crumbling on the inside. And as good as I am at being a chameleon and pretending everything is okay and pretending that nothing is wrong, I am now in the house with my mother. And my mother is capable of seeing through me. And I know she can. And so I am now afraid that she's gonna realize that I'm falling apart. So I'm doing everything I can to avoid her. And one night I go to a party and I come home really late and it's like two o'clock in the morning and I go upstairs and I'm sitting in my room and I had been drinking and so I'm a little tipsy and I'm sitting there and I just start crying and I think to myself, you know, I really think the world might be better off without me. And this was the first time that I had these thoughts. And as I'm thinking these things in my parents' home, in my bedroom that I had grown up in, something washed over me and I flashed back to those moments where my friend told me about her brother committing suicide. And I thought for a moment and I was like, I can't be this statistic. I can't be this person. I can't, I can't do this to my parents. And, you know, I think a lot of the reason that I'm so broken is because I haven't dealt with anything from my childhood. I'm still having nightmares. I'm not really eating. I'm definitely not sleeping well. I've flunked out of college. I'm in a job that I'm working at a fast food restaurant. I haven't changed a, changed a single thing in my life. I'm just now, instead of, instead of being at North Texas State in Denton, I'm at my parents' house, and instead of partying at fraternity, place, at fraternity houses, I'm partying at bars. I haven't changed anything but the geography. And I am now considering that the world might be better off without me. I'm in trouble. So I sat there in the dark of my room and I started to talk to Jesus. And I said, Lord, I don't know what it is that I need to do. I don't know where it is that I need to go, but I need to tell my story to somebody. But I don't wanna tell my parents. I don't want my parents to hate me like you hate me. 
And I don't want people to be ashamed of me the way that I'm ashamed of me. And I want to move on with my life and I want to have a productive life and I want to have a good life. I don't want to just pretend that everything's okay. I want to be okay. And so that night I just cried and prayed and asked Jesus to help me. That next morning I decided that I couldn't tell my parents what was going on. I couldn't tell my story to my my mom and my dad, but I could tell it to my sister. So I went over to my sister's house and I told my story to my sister. She cried with me. She screamed with me. And then she told me I had to tell my parents. I did not want to tell them. I was terrified they would hate me. It was a ridiculous notion because my parents had never had any indication ever that there was anything that I could ever do in my lifetime that would ever make my parents not love me. There was never, ever any indication in my life that I could ever do anything that was too wrong or too bad that they wouldn't love me. But somewhere deep in the soul of my soul, I believed as a seven-year-old girl that if I told my parents what had happened and what I did and the shame and the guilt and the heartache that I carried around since I was seven years old was horrible. And I, I believed that they would hate me. But my sister reassured me that mom and dad would not hate me. But I told her, I said, I can't tell dad. I can't, I can't tell him, I just can't. So my sister convinced me to tell my mom. And we went and told my mother. And my mom cried and she was so angry. Not at me, but at Louie, at my grandfather. And she hoped that he would burn in hell. And she hoped that he would pay the price that somebody who did that to your child would pay. And as a parent, I understand that. And as a parent, I I get it. And my mom later had many conversations with me as an adult, and we talked many times. And there were many moments that both she and I decided that it was a subject that we could not decide his fate, that it was not something that her or I could decide what God did with it, that it was something that we had to lay at God's feet and give to God because we were too impacted by his actions to have a determination to be judge and jury. So we decided that God could do what God wanted to do and we left it in God's hands. But that day, mom and I wept together and we cried and then my mom told my dad. And my parents were so supportive and they were so gracious and we got some really intensive Christian counseling and I began a long journey to get to a place of being really healthy. And I would love to say that it happened quickly, but
but it was not a quick process. It was not something that happened overnight, and my bad habits did not change overnight. I would like to say that I turned to Jesus and that my life was very, very different instantaneously, but it was not. I continued to do a lot of the same things that I did for quite a long time. I am going to pause here and I will finish this story. I will share the victorious end in part three. Thank you guys for listening. I love you. Have a great day. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. If you want to stay in the know for all things Harp Ministries, check out our website at harpministries.org. In there, you'll see the latest episodes of Harp On It, upcoming events, and our newly released book entitled, How Can I Leap Tall Buildings When I Can't Get My Tights On? Thank you again for tuning in today. See y'all next week.